standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. Shall we bow and invite the Lord's presence to be with us? Our Father, which art in heaven, Father, I thank Thee for the wonderful privilege we have of prayer. Father, that we can come before Thee and make our requests known unto Thee, even though we know that Thou knowest these things beforehand. It is a a blessing, an honor, and a privilege to be able to express those things that are upon our heart to Thee and know that Thou hearest and answerest our prayers for that which is good, And, Father, it is in that hope and faith that we come before Thee, praying that Thou will grant unto us good things. Father, we pray that Thou will pour out Thy Holy Spirit upon us, that our minds and hearts may be lifted heavenward, that the sweet influences of Thy Spirit may direct our minds toward Thee and open to us the wonderful things of Thy Word, that also our hearts may be opened before Thee, And I pray that that will be with my lips as well, that I may speak those things that will be to thy honor and glory, that thou will guide my words, that my words may exalt Jesus, that his word may be uplifted and exalted, that as he prayed, all men might be drawn to him, and thus to thee. Father, bless us now, not because we are worthy nor deserving of a blessing, but because Jesus is worthy and deserving. Father, we come to Thee in His name, pleading our need before Thee, and praying that Thy blessing also be upon the reading of Thy Word. Let it not return unto Thee void, is my prayer, but may it find entrance and abide in each and every one of our hearts. For this I pray and ask in the blessed name of Thy Son, Jesus. Amen. How many believe the statement of the Apostle Paul. The Bible tells us that perilous times, what? Shall come. Now, indeed, we know that perilous times have come. And I want us to look at what makes these times so perilous. Now, there are many things, indeed, we could look at to understand the peril of the time in which we live. But let's open up to Paul's second letter to Timothy. Let's read our our opening text, and then we'll go from there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll begin verse 1. Paul says, This no. Now I'm going to stop there for a moment. Does no imply some uncertainty? No. Or does it imply absolute certainty? Absolute certainty. So when Paul says this no, he wants us to be absolutely certain on this fact. He doesn't want there to be any doubt in our mind. Right? He doesn't simply want it to be a belief, but a certain knowledge. So he says this no that in the last days, perilous times shall come. When? In the last days. 
So Paul was here speaking of future. Was it perilous in his day? Yes, certainly it was. Peril has always existed, hasn't it? This is not talking about any ordinary peril, but peril such as the world has never seen. Peril that essentially would be on every hand. Perilous times would come. And we see the nature of this peril in the following verses. You look at verses 1 through 5, and you see, or excuse me, I should say, verses 2 through 5. And you see the nature of this peril. And I'm going to touch a little bit on one of the things mentioned in verse 2. Let's read it. That's verse 2, the first part. Paul begins to explain the nature of this peril. He says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, if I stopped there, that statement would include everything that follows. That statement is really the root of everything else that follows. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. We could stop it there and understand that everything else is but a fruit of self-love. And you can see it. We see covetousness, boasting, pride, blasphemy, disobedience to parents, unthankfulness, unholiness, etc., etc. All of these traits are the result. They're the logical fruit of self-love. When we love ourselves more than we love our neighbor, when we love ourselves more than we love God, these are the natural fruits or traits that will be born in the life. And this is what makes the last days so perilous. Not that peril has not existed, as I mentioned before, but because men, to a degree as has never been known in the history of mankind, shall be lovers of their own selves. They shall become totally absorbed with themselves. And when you look at the world around us, you can begin to see it. You can begin to see this peril. And when you look at the catalog of traits exhibited by this self-love, it becomes obvious that we are living in the last days. Let's notice verse 5. Where should we be looking? It tells us, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Now, after he had listed all of these traits, he tells us that these have a what? A form of godliness. So, obviously, we understand that the danger, the peril that Paul is talking about is not in the world. He's not talking about peril in the world. That has always been. But he's saying a peril such as never has been among God's people, his professed people, those who profess the name of God, the name of Christ, those who take upon them that holy name, they would have a form of godliness, but they would deny its power because self-love reigns. There would be, as has never been seen before, those within the church, within the ranks of God's people, who would love themselves more than they love anyone else. And so, perilous times would come. 
We expect peril when we go outside of our door in the world. We expect peril when we go into our workplace, when we go into crowded streets, when we go in, into the world. We expect peril, that there will be danger. But this is a peril where it's least expected. Peril where we feel safe, where we feel secure. But Paul is warning us that danger would arise in the last days among God's people. There would be terrors such as never seen before. Now look at verse 13. Explaining this even further, he says, The evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now what is the context of this? Not necessarily in the world, but where would evil men increase? In the, in the church. Seducers. That word is deceivers. Those who lead astray, mislead God's people. This is the danger we face. And it's one all too often that we find ourselves oblivious to. There's a peril that exists among God's people. A peril that lurks unseen, unrecognized. But Paul, by inspiration, was led to warn us of this danger that would exist in these last days. Let's read that again. Evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse. So they would become progressively worse. Not only are they deceiving, but they themselves are deceived. And because of that, they become a deceiver. We look at Eve back in the garden. Was she a deceiver? Yes. Yes. Why? Because she was deceived, you see. We're not talking about the, the motives of these men. Most of them are genuinely deceived. And because of that, they become the most adept deceivers. And this is the danger that we face. And I want us to see what counsel God gives us to avoid this danger. God has made us aware of this danger so that we can avoid it. Note also with me Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. Notice it says that they have a form of godliness, but they deny the what? The power thereof. The question is, what is the power that they are denying? Let's read Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. There the Apostle Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, that is, the gospel of Christ, is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now notice verse 17. For therein, where? In the gospel of Christ. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. And how is it revealed? From faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. What is it they are denying? The righteous life. 
They're denying the work of the gospel that is wrought in every human being that believes obedience. You see, the just shall live by faith. And in our Sabbath school today, we learned about the obedience of faith, what it means to obey. This is what they're denying. This is the power that they are denying. The transforming, renewing power of God in the life. And this is the danger that we face. Those who have a form, they may speak the truth, but has that truth changed the life, changed the heart? This is what we are to be careful of and watch for. Notice also Paul's second letter to Timothy, the next chapter. 2 Timothy, this time chapter 4. We're going to read verses 3 and 4. There the apostle writes, For the time will come, again speaking of future, the time will come when they, that is, this class of men, for they, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. And Paul expresses this in Second Thessalonians as well, chapter 2, where he says, Because they received not the love of the truth, they received from God a strong delusion to believe the lie. And here Paul expresses it in this language, that they cannot endure sound doctrine. And because they cannot endure it, they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And why is it that they cannot endure sound doctrine? Because it goes against self. They love themselves more than they love God. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And this is the danger of the time in which we live. Not only in the world, we can see it clearly in the world, but the time where we see it in the church. God wants us to be aware that we are living in perilous times. The last text in this series that I want us to look at regarding this is 1 Timothy, that's 1 Timothy chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 1. Another well-known text that we use, usually regarding the world. But it has direct application to the church. Let's notice it. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now how do we know that Christians are here referred to? Because they're departing from what? The faith. That which they once held. This is not talking about the world. The world has never held the faith. Only Christians have held the faith. It's talking about those who would depart from the clear, sound teachings of the Word of God, just as we read in 2 Timothy. And we see the reason for it. 
Now, why do I share all these things with us? So that we can become discouraged? Certainly not. But so that we can be warned. So that we can be aware of the danger that we face. Not only from others, but in our own lives. We are to examine ourselves to know whether we are in the faith. Except we be reprobates. God wants us to examine ourselves carefully. Not only to examine others. Notice a well-known passage that I, I like to quote frequently because it seems to be the evil of this age. And we are to preach the present truth. We are to address the evil of the age. And the evil of this age is self-love. And God has warned us time and time again against this. In Proverbs 12, verse, excuse me, chapter 14 and verse 12, Solomon wrote that there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Does self-love seem right? Sure, it does. It seems right to all of us that our ways are right. That's the way the natural mind works. And this is why it's so perilous. Because we're self-deceived. The only way we can love ourselves is to be self-deceived. To be deceived into thinking that what pleases me is best. What feels good to me is best. What sounds good to me is best. This is the danger that is going to arise within the church. That we would begin to think that our own ways are right. Thinking that we're on the path of righteousness when in reality we're on the path to perdition. And God wants us to examine our feet. Let us take heed. Let us look to our foundation lest we fall. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul adds to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2. We could read also verse 1, and I think we will. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2. It says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity, that is, love edifieth. So we all know, right? When it comes to things sacrificed to idols, we know. We have an intellectual knowledge of the faith, don't we? But what is Paul comparing that with? Love, right? He says knowledge puffs up. It leads us to exalt self. But love, he says, edifies. It establishes us in the truth. Love is what settled us upon the truth. Now notice what Paul says in verse 2. And if any man think that he, that is himself, knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet how? As he ought to know it. Does that mean he knows nothing? No. But he does not know it as he ought to know it. How ought we to know it? As God knows it. As God has revealed it. That is how we are to know it. 
You see, the danger is, is that we may think we know. We think we know something. And when we think we know something, the danger is that we don't know it as we ought to know it. God wants us to be aware of our danger that we live in. And it cannot be expressed in soft words. It cannot be expressed in a watered-down way. We are to be faithful watchmen. And we cannot be watchmen if we do not recognize the danger. A watchman must be trained to see danger, to recognize danger signals. Otherwise, he is a worthless watchman. If he does not know the signs of an enemy's approach, that the enemy is at the gate, then he is not a watchman fit to be upon the walls. He will not give the sound, right? Because he sees not the danger. God wants each and every one of us to be faithful watchmen, to recognize the danger, and when we see it, to call out warning to all around, to flee from this danger. And God has given us the signs that indicate the danger that we presently face, what we call our present danger. Now, every age has its evils. Our age, the evil happens to be love of self. It is going to be the plague that leads to the last great controversy. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul admonishes us in a way in which we can guard ourselves as a faithful watchman to be prepared to meet the devil, to meet the danger. That's Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verse 11. Why don't I back up to verse 10? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Why is the Christian admonished? to take upon himself his armor, his spiritual armor, to put on not some of the armor of God, but how much of it? The whole armor of God. It's called the panoply. The whole armor. Every piece of equipment to guard against what? Well. The wiles of the devil. That's right. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, our war is not with men, though sometimes we get diverted to that. The devil wants us to forget who our real enemy is. And that is he is as a roaring lion. He wants us to look anywhere but where our real danger is, you see. He does not want us to be aware of his wiles. And notice, we don't wrestle against men flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, powers, that is. The rulers of the what? The darkness of this world. Darkness is ignorance. Those who rule in ignorance, 
That's what we, what we wrestle against. Those who are ruling this world in ignorance. Now, we're not talking about worldly rulers. We're talking about those who really rule. The devil and his angels. They are the rulers of the darkness of this world. They are the spiritual wickedness in high places. And the devil is afraid that we will become wise to his wiles, understand the way he works, that we can give a faithful warning. Now, does that mean we go about studying evil? No. God has given us the wiles of the devil in his word, that we can understand the way the devil works, that we can be wise against these things, to give a faithful warning when we see it. And today... The greatest danger I see in the church is self-love. That we love ourselves more than we love God. More than we love His Word. More than we love our neighbor. God wants us to love not only ourselves, but to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to love ourselves, to be sure but we are to love our neighbors in the same way. That's healthy love. That's healthy self-love. That love is to be proportionate. The love that we give to others is to be proportionate to the love that we give to ourselves. That's the fulfilling of the law, right? It does no evil to its neighbor. Therefore, it is the fulfilling of the law. 1 Peter chapter 5. I touched on this. Let's take a look at it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Here is the Apostle Peter's words. Now this epistle was written shortly before his death. Shortly before the second epistle. Peter was about to pass from this world. And he's writing to the believers. And he warns them in this language. He says, be sober. Now, what does it mean to be sober? Awake, alert. alert, That's right. Not drunk. Can you be sober if you're drunk? No. If we've sipped of the wine of Babylon, beloved, we are not sober. We're drunk. He says, be sober, be vigilant. Vigilant means awake, alert, tirelessly alert. We must be vigilant. We must be sober. Why? Because your adversary, your real enemy, the real enemy at the gate is as a roaring lion, the devil, we call him. And what is he doing? Going about seeking whom he way may devour. He's as a what? He's as a roaring lion. Now the Apostle Peter uses this language because in his day it was had had tremendous meaning. Lions still existed in that area at the time Peter wrote this. 
And he uses the example of the roaring lion to help them understand the nature of the enemy in, that we have to deal with. How many here are familiar with lions? How many here understand how lions work? Are they solitary hunters? Not really? Not really? Okay, here are not really. They work in pride. That's right. They hunt as a team. Lions are not solitary hunters like leopards, like jaguars, or many of the other big cats, tigers, panthers, pumas. We could go on and on. Lions are almost unique among the cats because they hunt as a pack. And Peter uses a lion as a representation of the devil, our real enemy. And not as any kind of lion, but as a roaring lion. Now, who among the lions roars? Male. The male. That's right. If you know anything about lions, you know it's the male that roars. And why does he roar? That's right. That's the way the male lion indicates that this is my territory because his roar can be heard for miles by other lions. And as he bellows out, he's saying, this is my territory. This is my turf. Anyone who approaches and comes within the sound of my voice will have to deal with me. That's a roaring lion. But it also has another significance. And it has to do with how lions hunt. Now, how do lions hunt? Well, it's very simple. They pick out a target, maybe buffalo, it may be some other, maybe it's a zebra, or they will pick out a target and they hunt usually at night. It's uncommon for lions to hunt during the day. They will do it under certain circumstances, but most hunts take place at night, in darkness. And what happens is the female lions, the lionesses, will surround the prey. They will set up a trap, unbeknownst to them. They stalk very slowly, very quietly, so that they can't be heard or seen or smelled by their enemy. And they set an ambush, unsuspecting, unbeknownst to their prey. And when the time is right, one of the females and sometimes the males, one of the males will come along and make himself known to them. He will come in the forefront of where the trap is set, the females having been placed usually in the flanks or in the behind, and the male will usually come in front or one of the females, usually one of the younger males, and he'll make himself known. He'll startle them. He may charge them or he may roar. And so they spring off in the opposite direction right into the waiting trap where the weakest is usually taken down. These, this is how lions hunt. And it's used as an example of the danger that we face. You see, the, the devil will present himself to us in a certain way. And we, seeing the danger, we're like, whoa, whoa, we're backing up, right? Not realizing the danger behind us. Not realizing that the devil is pushing us right where he wants us to go.
And this is the way the devil works. He doesn't use overt threat most of the time. He manipulates us into going the direction he wants by presenting opposites. Here are some of the tactics he will use, some of the things he will say. Don't trust others. He'll say something like, don't even trust me. And he will say, trust yourself. You see, these are the type of ploys that the devil uses. You don't want to listen to men. Don't trust others. Don't even trust me. Trust yourself. Trust yourself. You know. Use your own judgment. Use your own discernment. Don't just believe me. And don't believe other men. But trust yourself. Trust your judgment. This is one of the ways in which the devil is most successful. But you see, in reality, there's a balancing act. He's telling you one side, but not giving you the other. He's giving you a bait to lead you to back right in to where he wants you to be. You see, to all these statements, there is a balance to them, which he wants to keep you ignorant of. Is distrust of others healthy? It is, to a degree. But it must be balanced with trust in God. You see, it's not simply enough to be skeptical of what everybody says. That can be good, to a degree. But if you don't trust in God more than you trust in yourself, you're unbalanced. You see, and the devil knows this, so he pushes you with these baits. He says something like, trust yourself. When the real balance to that is self-distrust. We need a healthy modicum of self-distrust together with self-trust. Do we want to believe what the Bible says? Absolutely we do. But we also want to be aware of the way in which our mind works. The way in which we can corrupt the words of God by our own desires and feelings. We need both self-trust and self-distrust. We need skepticism or distrust of others, but we need trust in God. We need these things in balance. This is the wrestle that we have. The danger is that we weigh down one side of the scales. We tip that balance and so fall into the trap that is laid for us. That is why Peter said our, our enemy is as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. He's presenting himself in some way as an enemy, not letting you know that the real enemy is in store waiting for you and he's pushing you toward them we need to know the wiles of the devil you see there is a danger that the Bible clearly tells us of looking to self it's what led to the fall of our adversary 
And he's been so successful with that that he's never ceased using it. It's been his most successful ploy, leading others to rely upon themselves more than they rely upon God, you see. Self-reliance is good to a point. If we rely upon self more than we rely upon the word of God, then it becomes dangerous. It becomes a bait. And that's why the peril of our day is self-trust, self-love, self-confidence. Notice what we are told in the book Education, page 88. We are told to self-trust, trial is defeat. To those who trust themselves, trial, difficulty, is defeat. It spells defeat, certain defeat. And Satan knows it. That's why self-love is our greatest danger today. You see, because the devil knows that at every trial you will fail if he can get you to trust yourself more than you trust God. You see, it must be balanced with trust in God. And distrust of others, yeah, that lion that's lurking there, must also be balanced with what? Trust in God. That's right. We must learn to have healthy self-trust and healthy self-distrust. We must have a healthy distrust of others and a healthy trust in God. Sometimes we go to extremes, and it's those, in those extremes that we're led into the trap of the devil. Fanaticism is never good. It always leads to danger. The devil wants us to react in an extreme way, just as the prey do when they see and hear the lion roaring. In this same epistle, chapter 5, the first three verses, let's read them together. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 3. The apostle declares, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, that is, for ill-gotten gain, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. God wants us to be examples to the flock. We're to be faithful watchmen. And those who take up the duty as watchmen, now everybody has a duty to a degree of being a watchman. Even those within the walls have a duty to do in being watchmen. But primarily that duty falls to those upon the walls, those who have the vantage point and are looking out over the surrounding fields and territory, the ministers, the preachers, the pastors, the elders, 
these men. They have a work to do in warning the flock of danger, being faithful heralds. And they are to do it not of constraint, not because it's simply an obligation or duty thrust upon them, but they must do it of a ready mind, willingly. It must spring from their own heart, their own volition. They're not to do it for filthy lucre. They're not hirelings. But they are good under-shepherds of the true good shepherd. They do it of a ready mind. They do it that they might be an example to the flock. Not as lords, but how? As an equal, as a fellow laborer, as a brother and sister. They're setting an example. And God wants us to be that example. God wants us to be watchmen, whether we stand upon the walls or whether we happen to be in the confines of the city. Because it's not only the watchman that gives the call, but that call has to be echoed and re-echoed throughout the city. Because often one watchman's voice will not penetrate to the heart of the city. It must be relayed by faithful men and women within the walls who carry that sound to all those who may be sleeping and unaware of the danger. Turn with me to Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 17. Philippians three seventeen, the Apostle Paul writes, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. You see the balance? You have a distrust of others, but what here is being promoted? Trust in others, right? We have a trust in God, but the apostle here is saying what? Brethren, be followers together of me. How, do we, how are we examples? Right? If we don't call people to our own example. If we're not saying, be ye followers to, of me, even as I am of Christ. Paul says, and mark those which so walk as you have us, the apostles, for an example. Look to them. Watch them. Follow them as you have an example. So there is a helpful Distrust of others, but there's also a healthful trust. They must be balanced out. We must be looking to others. That's how we learn, by the example set before us. We learn by observation and repetition. Let's go back to Second Timothy. This will be our last text before we close. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, we're going to read verse 14. We read up to verse 13. 
We didn't read all the intervening verses, but we read verse 13. Now let's look at the next verse. Paul admonishes us in his word to Timothy. He says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. This is some of the safest counsel given. Now, Paul was about to leave this world. This epistle was and very well may have been the very last thing that he wrote before he died. And he was writing to a young man whom he had raised up to take his place, to be an elder, to guard and watch as a faithful bishop over the souls of the flock that had been committed to him by the Apostle Paul. Timothy was to be a faithful steward of that which God had committed to him. And notice the words that the Apostle admonishes him with. He says to continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. What things had he learned? He had learned the scriptures. Verse 15 tells us that thou from a child hast known the holy scriptures. These were the things he was to continue in. Things he had been assured of from the time he was a little babe, a little child. He had learned the scriptures from his grandmother and his mother faithfully. He was to continue in those things. And the apostle also admonishes, admonishes him, saying, Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Who did he learn them from? Who? From Christ? Yes, absolutely. Grandmother. His grandmother, yes. His mother. Faithful Christians. Timothy had also learned from the Apostle Paul, hadn't he? He was to be assured of those things, knowing of whom he has learned them. Paul had been taught himself by Christ. You see, often we say unqualified, you know, don't just trust me. And that can be good. I can stand up here and say, don't just take my word for it. That's a good thing. But at the same time, you want to take my word. Amen. Take it to the source of truth. Prove it. Test it. Do take my word. We have to have that balance, you see. And the gravest danger we have is that we trust ourselves more than we trust anything. But the only cure for that is trust in God. The only way we can have a healthful self-trust is if our love and trust is centered in God. God will give us that healthy self-trust, knowing what we have learned and where we've learned it from. We can have perfect faith in a thus saith the Lord. We have no reason to doubt it. We can be assured of it, knowing whence we have learned it where it came to us from. And when we hear those things from pastors, from ministers, from our fellow brethren, we can be assured of those things, knowing their source. But we are to take all things to the Word of God, beloved. 
I want us to have that balance. And with that, I want to share with you my closing thought. It's found in the first epistle to Timothy, chapter 6. This is our final Bible text. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Let's read them together. Paul again admonishing Timothy. He says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is what? Proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. You see, when someone comes along and tells you that such and such is the truth, and they are admonished from the word of God, well, what about this verse? It doesn't line up with what you're saying. And that person does not consent to that truth. No, that they are proud, that they know nothing, that that person is a person of corrupt mind. Their mind has been corrupted by what? Love of self. You see, we are to receive the things that they're said, but we are also to be reflectors. We are to admonish. If we hear something not in accordance with the word of God, Bring that to that person's attention. You will know immediately whether that person is a Christian or not. If they receive the admonishment and say, you know, you're right, I hadn't seen that before. Then you can tell God is working upon the heart. But if they say, no, you're misunderstanding. You're not understanding what I'm saying. Or they make up some excuse to justify and they consent not to the truth. Know that that person is proud, that they know nothing, that there's corruption that has taken place in that mind. You see, God has given us certain knowledge, things whereby we can know the truth, that we can know those who are the Lord's and those who are not the Lord's, whereby we can know our enemy from our friend, foe from friend and friend from foe. God wants us to be wise. He wants us to test and prove all things. Notice, from such we are told, withdraw thyself. Now the world tells us, no, you need to be their friend. You need to try to reach out to them. Paul says, withdraw thyself. God says, withdraw thyself. Keeping company with a deceiver is dangerous thing. If you don't believe me, just ask Eve. She stayed. The moment she knew that he did not consent to the truth, she stayed. And the result was she was deceived. And through her, Adam was deceived. And the human race fell. You see, we are to withdraw ourselves. The safest thing, the best thing Eve could have done was to withdraw herself from that place. 
withdraw thyself from the tempter. If a strange woman comes to you and entices you into her bed, withdraw thyself. Withdraw thyself. If a man comes to you and tells you this grand plot of how you can make quick and easy money, withdraw thyself. Withdraw thyself. That's the safest thing we can do. When Joseph was approached by Potiphar's wife, she said, lie with me, and she grabbed a hold of him. What did he do? He withdrew himself forcibly, even so forcibly that he left his garment behind. You see, we are to flee from evil. From a letter I want to share with you, in 1890... This statement is made. I want to close with this statement. There the author wrote this. She says, There is altogether too much self-confidence and self-sufficiency. Altogether too much pride of heart and self-esteem without giving glory to God. God has given minds and talents to men only in trust. They don't belong to us. They're given to us in trust, on probation. The only way they can become ours is if we pass the test. Continuing. God has given minds and talents to men only in trust, on trial, to test and prove them to see if they will work in His way and do His will and put not confidence in themselves alone. Notice how that's qualified. Not in themselves alone. Is it good to have self-confidence? Yes, but not alone. If they do not stand the test, she continues, they are false to his kingdom. That includes us. That includes us, beloved. It is not good for us to trust ourselves alone. And this is the sin of the age. This is the peril of these last days, such as the world has never seen. It is being ramped up on every side. It is being pressed upon us as never before. The devil is leading us and leading men, especially those who are in prominent positions as pastors, ministers, teachers, on this course to deceive as many as possible And God has given us faithful warning against this and has taught us what is the cure. What will help us and secure us against this fatal deception of self-love and self-trust. Remember that the mind given to us is given in trust. It's given on trial. We are to prove whether we are worthy of the gift that God has given us in His Son. You see, when man fell, he lost his mind. I don't know if you're aware of that. But when Adam fell, he lost his mind. It was given back to him by Christ. Christ stepped in and gave man back his mind on probation. It was given to him that he may once again prove himself worthy and faithful. And God has given to us a mind that we may use it to His glory, to His honor, 
that we may prove all things and hold fast that which is good. Is that your desire? Do you want to use the mind God has given you faithfully? Do you want to be that faithful watchman? If so, let us kneel before the Lord. Our Father, which art in heaven. Father, it is a solemn message, a solemn obligation that doth lay upon us. And I pray, Father, that we may have a true sense of the solemnity of the hour in which we live, of the time in which we live, that we may have a true sense of the danger that surrounds us on every hand, that we, Father, be Come not complacent in our present situation, in our present danger. Father, we want to be faithful watchmen. We want to become aware and awake, sober and vigilant to the danger that surrounds us, not only for the sake of the salvation of our own soul, but for all of those souls that depend upon us. Help us to be faithful watchmen. May our voice be thine. May our lips be dedicated to thee. And give that faithful warning. Father, I pray that we may learn to look inwardly more than we do outwardly. We may learn to see the weakness of our own minds and hearts. To see our own faults and failings. Not simply that we might be overwhelmed with them but that we might overcome them by grace. For a drunkard cannot overcome his wine until he recognizes he is a drunkard. Help us to become aware of our own faults and failings, that we might be able to lift our voice in faithful warning against these things, that our own souls may be warned against them. Bless, I pray, Father, the reading of thy word. Let it know not go forth from thee and return unto thee void. But I pray that it may accomplish that good work in us, that it will perform that good work until the day of Jesus Christ, that when he cometh, he may find faith in us, that he may look and see himself in us when he returns to claim his own. Father, that is my hope and my prayer for us today. And I thank Thee for hearing and answering my prayer. For all of these things we pray and ask in the precious name of Thy Son, Jesus. Amen. May the Lord bless Thee and keep Thee. May the Lord make His face to shine upon Thee and be gracious unto Thee. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon Thee and give Thee peace. Amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth. Thank you.